Okay, by way of introduction for my Spiro, I'll just share a quick uh, anecdote. It was a um, convention of psychologists and therapists who were getting together to commiserate with each other, to share physics with each other. And one by one, they went around the room and everyone was sharing their horror stories, trying to, you know, uh, I guess invoke some sympathy from their colleagues. And there was one fellow who was sitting there that seemed like he was in a different world, unmoved by any of the horror that was being shared by the therapist, by the psychologist. And someone walked over and said, walked over to them and said, look, you know, he was an elderly gentleman who maybe he was just hardened to everything and said to him, how are you not moved by these stories which are being recounted in this room? You're sitting there like stone. And the fellow looks up at him and he says, what? And he says, I don't get it. You're sitting here, you're hearing all these stories, all these tragedies, and you're not, you're not emotionally involved at all. How is it possible? And the says, what? And then he pulled out of his ear a, uh, a piece of gauze or whatever it is, an earplug that he had in his ear. You know, sometimes we think that a person's a magid and they're really just talking and they're sharing such extraordinary stories, but it's only some of the it's all external, it's not something which is an internal thing, but I can tell you that I heard an Eidos today from my brother, Mephile, who is a, also a Rebbe, and she just comes high and said it. He told me that today he walked into the uh, Rebbe's room, to the Rebbe's room in, in, uh, in uh, yeah. TA in Baltimore, where Rabbi Spiro was giving his recess podcast, and Rabbi Spiro was sharing a story managed with tears coming down. So, so listen, we should all know that what we're going to hear as Hashem is this Samamadiyah that's saying over stories. Rabbi Spiro doesn't just churn out stories from his mouth, he's churning his heart and his emotions and his, his uh, passion for these stories. And I think with that mindset, now we're like you said, to hear Rabbi Spiro Shlita. Okay, thank you. Thank you. A beautiful introduction. And I'm sorry that I jumped the gun. You know, usually the best introductions are the ones that uh, where I don't have to live up to any expectation. So I appreciate it. Thank you, Rabbi Berkowitz. Thank you, Rabbi Tejistin, um, for inviting me. What a, first of all, what a chashvazach. Eilam gets together, people get together, and they want to hear words of encouragement and words of musr, words of Chizuk, it's such a beautiful, beautiful thing. And the truth is, is that the entire Jewish world is in need of chizuk, of encouragement. Um, we coming off of a beautiful time of year of Purim, and we mamish didn't have time to catch our breaths, putting away our mishleach manis, um, trying to get over our our. Uh, drunkenness maybe a little bit and all of a sudden we receive word the earth-shattering news that Rav Chaim Kanievsky Hasar HaToyra our general has fallen and I want to tell you that there have been many times over the last let's say 40 years that I have received word that a Torah giant has left this world and 
I don't know if I ever reacted like I did this past Friday. Um, the closest thing I can compare it to is when in 1986, we heard that Rav Moshe Feinstein died. And when Rav Moshe died, and Rav Moshe was the undisputed Godel Hadar, undisputed, in every walk of life, in every circle, wherever you traveled, Rav Moshe was the final word. His incredible um, saintliness and piety is something that is the picture for anybody that has ever seen a picture of him. It's what we imagine a Torah giant being. It's what we imagine when Hashem put onto this world a Jew. This is what he had in mind. And when Rav Moshe died, I want to just take you through a little bit of what I experienced. I remember when in Tel's Yeshiva, there was a red phone. It was pre-cell phone days. I don't want to make myself sound prehistoric, but pre-cell phone days, how did you get hold of your wife in Yeshiva if things were, you know, you're having a baby? How did the women get hold of the men? There was a red phone in the back of the Yeshiva, right across from the bathroom, and the red phone rang, and you picked up the red phone. And I remember the red phone rang. It was the night before Purim. And they said, Rav Moshe's situation is in need of uh, Tehillim. The yeshiva should daven. And we started davening, and then we heard the phone ringing while we're davening. I remember looking around. I was 17, I believe, at the time. And a pit in my stomach. We knew what was coming. The second time the phone rang, I remember somebody walked up and ripped the paroiches off of the orin, and we didn't know what to do. Moshe was gone. The sinking feeling in our stomach. I remember being by the back shear room, which is behind the, the base medrash, there was a special shear room. And I remember of Chaim Stein, who was like an angel, walking in and his son-in-law, Rabbi Nachem Levine, approaching him and telling him, I remember of Chaim walking into the back shear room. It was dark. And I remember him banging on the wall. Ay, 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 ay. And I remember he walked up to the front of the base medrash in silence. We, we watched and he gave a clap. And he sat on the floor. And we all followed suit. We sat on the floor and we cried. That was probably the first and only time I had acted appropriately when a Godel died. I'm not going to tell you which Godel it was because I'm embarrassed. When I was a teenager playing ball one Matzah Shabbos and I received word that a Rosh Hashiva died, and I was, I was standing there with a bunch of guys in the gym. And a minute passed, and in my immaturity, I said, so whose ball is it? And we continued to play. It was an 
epic moment of failure on my part. And I can't say that I ever really experienced the Ramesh experience until this past Friday when I got a call from Eretz Yisrael. My son, who's in learning in Eretz Yisrael, a young younger man, was shicker as can be. And he's, he's a pretty pure young man. And he was wailing like a baby. Wailing and crying like a baby. And my wife and I just sat there and we sobbed as well. And I thanked him the next day because I had not experienced anything like that. And I probably would not have had that reaction if I did not hear him crying. And, and so the world is in need of chizuk, of encouragement. So I want to share with you one idea I heard and maybe a little message for all of us. When the Rashash, who is printed in the back of all our Gemaris, when he passed away, he was the third giant, third Torah giant to have died in a short period of time. And by the way, it's important to note that sometimes these tragedies of losing Torah giants happens in succession. And I don't want to go into exactly when it's happened before, but it's happened before. It happened before the war, I believe, with the Baruch Ber and Reb Shimon and Reb Chaim Oizer. It's happened at other times, but sometimes G'daylam are taken in groups. But that's what's happened in the past. And there were three G'daylam that had died at that time. The Oruch Laner, who's one of the primary Mefarshim and Mesech Sukkah and others. The Ksav Soifer, the son of the Chassam Soifer. And then the Rashash. And Reb Nochemka of Harodna, who was the Rebbe of the Chofetz Chaim, got up and he was maspid. And this is what he said. We'll say tomorrow night in Davening. The voice of Hashem comes in strength. The voice of Hashem comes in glory. The voice of Hashem breaks the cedars. And this is what he said. There's sometimes where Hashem speaks to us. In strength, we see his incredible, enormous, one-of-a-kind strength. And we know he's speaking to us. Mitzrayim would be a case in point. Everybody saw, no one doubted, we see the strength of Hashem. And if we see today, we see miracles happen, or we see incredible awesomeness of Hashem and the Bria and the creation, we have no question Hashem is speaking to us. Koil Hashem Bahadur. There were times, like in the times of Shleima HaMelech, when the Beis HaMikdash, with all its glory and grandeur, was beautiful, it was magnificent, the silver and gold. There's no question that Hashem speaks to us when He gives us endless gifts. 
There's times when the Jewish people enjoy incredible prosperity. I would say that now is such a time. Jewish people are wealthy beyond imagination. Jewish people, Jewish people have celebrations where we take over MetLife Stadium and there's an incredible amount of Torah learning going on. It's magnificent, the glory and the splendor. And Hashem's speaking to us. He's giving us incredibly kind and wonderful things. So you can have Kol Hashem Bakayach. You can have Kol Hashem Bahadar. And then you can have Kol Hashem Shoivarazim. The Sadiqim of our generation are called Adire Hatoira. Arze Halvonain Adire Hatoira. The cedars of Lebanon are the giants, the righteous tzaddikim of our generation. And when Hashem snatches one away, it's not, well, it's his time. He was 94, he was 103, he was 106. No. Hashem takes away a Torah giant. He's doing so. It's giving us a message. He's speaking to us. There's always someone else. There's always another tzaddik, and there are tzaddikim. My children who are more in the loop tell me, Daddy, we could tell you there's a hundred people that are well-known in Eretz Yisrael who are 70 and above who know kol ha They know the entirety of Torah. There will be other incredible Torah scholars that emerge. Names that we've never heard of. By the way, the name Rebaran Leib Steinman is a household name. No one ever heard of him until 20 years ago. I remember we were in Yeshiva, there was a Sefer, Ayala Sashachar, and who was it written by? Aleph Yud Lamid, this anonymous Talmud Chacham. I was 17, 16 years old in Yeshiva. Nobody really knew of him. 30 years ago, he was not a, a known person. He'll emerge. Obviously, none of them will ever be a Ruchayim. But they'll come. But what is Hashem telling us? Hashem always tells us things. When the Arzei Alvanin are taken, Hashem gives us a message. No one knows what the message is. But everyone can gain some message. And I'd suggest one or two thoughts. The first is, we live in a generation when people are very down on themselves. And they think, eh, what difference can I make? One per what can one person do? Hashem When Hashem stood at Har Sinai, He said, "I am Hashem, your God." Elokecha is a singular language. He could have said, "Elokechem." I'm all of your God. Now, I am your God. You matter. You're important. I'm speaking to you when you do a mitzvah. It can change the world. When you do an Avera, it can shatter Hashem's heart. person has to know that he matters. Wow, what can one Yid do? Look at a Reb Chaim. That's what one Yid can be. That's the first part. And maybe 1A is the idea that every single individual maybe by himself, can do very little. But if we put all the pieces together, then there's no telling what we can accomplish. You know, I want you to know that when, when 
somebody told me recently he's he's going to St. Louis on business. He says, what's the story? Is there a Jewish community there? I said, I want you to know that St. Louis is L'Shem Luciferus. As a Torah community, we're not Stam, but the weekend, Chavrusa shops there, over Friday and Shabbos, is something that's known in Klal Yisrael. It's standard setting. And very, it's very easy to think, a person thinks he's in St. Louis. What difference does it make to the world? What difference does it make to the global picture? I mean, young man in St. Louis, what difference? No, there's a ripple effect. And who knows what difference it can make to the world. I want to be Messiah and end with one story. Even though uh, Reben Tejerstein told me 14 minutes today. First of all, I never got such a, a, a minute limit. 14 minutes. What in the world? There's like such a yekish island. 14 minutes? Okay. So those, I don't know if I reached the 14 minute limit because I think we started a little late. If after this period of time, I reach 14, Ben, whoever else, you're more than welcome. I don't get insulted. But I have an incredible story to show. Recently, the mice in Ukraine, it's an unbelievable mice, uh, something, it's like a movie playing out in real life. And there was a tremendous push that you didn't should give money. And, and the people gave money and then the light in Lakewood had, there was a real push and people just were very, very uh, aggressively trying to convince light to give. I heard that they raised from the light themselves over $2 million. That's what I heard. I know that my children asked me if they can give Meister on future months for Tzedakah. And I have to be, I'm embarrassed to tell you that, that when they told me what they gave, my, their donation, I had to double my donation. But there was a younger man there. And the younger man is standing there and he says to his 12-year-old child, he says, I want you to know we have a discretionary fund. We don't have any money. Mommy and I put away money in case something breaks and it's, and, it's, and it's an overwhelming expense. So we have savings, a few dollars. But the G'daylam have told us it's B'kuach Nefesh for every Yid. So here, and he takes out two envelopes. We have $5,000 raised up. And he pulls $2,500 cash out and he gives it to his son and takes another $2,500 and they hand it to the Gabbat Stucker who's collecting $5,000. There's a bacher that's watching this. It blows his mind. Couldn't believe it. Guy giving away his savings, his emergency funds, it's crazy. He has a brother who's a mashkiach in a yeshiva for boys at risk and boys who are working and a little bit of a job or whatever. And he tells over, he says, look at the younger light in Lakewood. They're so pure that they're willing. They don't know people in Ukraine, many of them not religious at all. But a yid is suffering, a Jew is suffering. We're going to give him whatever we have. And they give everything. A young man comes over to this mashkiach, who himself is a young guy, and he says to him, I'd like to donate $1,609.23. He says, that's an odd number. He says, that's all I have in my savings. He gave him every penny that he has. A kid who's struggling with Yiddishkeit. He was blown away. So now you have first the young man who's giving $5,000, 
Then this kid who's giving 1609 23 cents, and he tells it over to his brother. His brother is married to a young woman who's incredibly inspired by this, and she tells her father. And her father wrote a check for $100,000. His name is Yossel Tabak. Badukumanusa, the story is tried, true, and tested. Here's a younger man. What's he doing? He's giving his pruta. He's doing his little bit. What's it going to help? One piece goes to another piece, goes to another piece. And before you know it, it caused a tidal wave of Tzedakah saving many, many families in Ukraine. One of us cannot replace Rukhain. Or for that matter, one of us can't make a huge dent in this world, or so it would seem. But there is a tidal wave, and the Rabbi Shalom wants us to hear his voice. Whatever Hashem wants, he certainly wants our attention. And he's telling us, Klal Yisrael, I'm taking away the general. I need a million of you privates to step up, and you will see a million privates can be a general. Chavra, it's very, very chashuv that you get together for a little Musa. I appreciate it. May we all be zoiche mitzvahem. That's it's parshas para. May we all be zoiche that the eifer of the para aduma should be mitar all of Kal Yisrael and bekara. We should be zoiche the para aduma bekara mamish zayigaz on kaltiv.